All right, welcome back to the Pursuit of Property podcast. I'm here sitting with my co-host, Scott Farrow, and today we're going to be doing a deal analysis on a new flip that Scott just closed on and kind of just talk numbers and talk the deal. And the goal is um, 10, 12 weeks down the road when this flips is all wrapped up, we're going to do a deal breakdown follow-up mm-hmm. episode and kind of see what we're talking about now, how it matches up here at the end. So, Scott, how you doing, my friend? Dude, we're doing great. Another day, another dollar. We haven't done many of the uh, deal analysis or deal breakdowns. A lot of it comes to the fact that we just haven't thought about it. Yeah. Um, but you and I were talking last week and we were like, you know what? Let's start sharing some of the you know details of how we find our deals, uh, how we analyze them, what it looks like in the process. And, uh, you know, specifically like on something like this, we can break down some speculation on what we think is going to happen. And then um, just like you and I know, nothing goes as planned at the end of the day. There's always a speed bump in the road. Uh, So we can share what bumps came up, what the final figures worked out to be and uh, share with everybody exactly, you know, how we handled it and how it all turned out. Yeah. So, dude, first and foremost, congratulations on getting this thing locked up and closed. Yeah. So how did you find the deal? Where where was the deal sourced, first and foremost? Yeah. So uh, I want to give some context because I just had somebody yesterday, Gabe Guzman. Shout out, Gabe. Uh, he called me and was asking about how exactly uh, we were finding our deals. And I said, come on over. I'll show you. So we... You and I are doing the same thing, so I'll just say we. Yeah. Uh, we pulled a list of motivated sellers, and to us, that was you know non-owner occupied property. Uh, we had a couple filters for age, uh, for equity, things of that sort, um, and then most importantly, length of ownership. And so, we had call magicians shout out Stratton uh, to do the uh, calling and. Essentially, we had our callers going through, talking to as many sellers as we could, you know, get on the phone. And one of the sellers had talked to uh, Bushra, one of my callers. She goes by Emma and had a great conversation and essentially said, have your guy call me today. I'm interested uh, in getting an offer from you. Well, as uh, you and I know, that's something that you don't wait on. So my assistant, Colin, or partner Colin, uh, is actually my brother-in-law. He actually reached out that day and had such a fantastic conversation. He set an appointment for the next morning at 8 a.m. And I was sitting here working with somebody else on figuring out how to set up their business. And I got a text saying, hey, you have an appointment at 8 a.m. at this house. Don't miss it. He's motivated. Take a contract. Right? Yeah. So let's take a pause there because I think that's kind of cool, especially for everybody out there listening. Excuse me. If we backtrack a little bit and talk about how we got started in this business and what we were doing when we first got into the business. We were doing the prospecting. We were uh, doing the like the lead filtration, which one's cold, warm, hot. We were setting our own appointments, which in some cases we still do, but we were kind of the jack of all trades doing everything in the business, right? Mm-hmm. And you just talked about a big shift we made in our business earlier in, earlier this year, late last Six year. Six months ago for me. Yeah which was outsourcing these parts of your business, outsourcing the prospecting, outsourcing the lead management, outsourcing the person who's setting your appointments. So here you are in the office, meeting with people, building on your business, building relationships, all the while you've got 
your team doing the prospecting, setting the appointment for you, and you've just got a text, hey, be there tomorrow, 8 a.m. He's motivated. Bring a contract. Yeah. No, it's really cool. Uh, I want to say thank you to the people that pushed me to do that because that was not easy to set that up. I mean, that was really scary. It was a lot of money. It was definitely an investment that's paid off. But in the moment, you don't think about, you know, is this 18000 going to bring money back? All you see is the 18000 leave your account. Yeah. And when 18000 bucks leaves your account, you have that moment of like anticipation. I mean, I'm not, you're not getting a car with that money. You're not getting a material or a, a tangible asset. You're getting uh, essentially an influx of leads that whether you know how to handle it or not, they're coming and you spent a lot of money on it. So you better turn these into opportunities. Yeah. So our responsibility to take that $18,000 investment and see whether that goes down the drain or whether we're going to, you know, 5x, 10x, whatever it is, that money with those leads that we're getting in from that investment. Yeah. So jumping back to this one specifically, uh, after I got that text, it was St. Patrick's Day, actually. And so I'm thinking to myself, I'm Irish. I like to have fun. It's St. Patrick's Day. I have an 8 a.m. appointment. What am I going to do here? <laughs> so I called Colin and I said, hey, Colin, uh, saw your text. Uh, sh you know, Fill me in real quick. I read your notes. And essentially he goes, yeah, the guy bought this property uh, as a favor for his daughter back in like 2004. She was kind of in a bad spot and she needed to get out of the house. And he said, look, I'll buy the condo from you for 70000 right? So he buys it from her for seventy, and his sister is making him the promise that she's going to like buy the condo off of him. Mm -hmm. Well, 18 years later, she never bought it off of him. That condo kind of just, I mean, it was rented out a couple times, but they pretty much went negative every month for 18 years, they told me. So I get to the property. We meet at the CVS right next door to the condo complex, and we walk in together. We walked in. It's 8 a.m. on a Friday morning, and we're just having a, a nice, lively conversation. And, you know, it gets to the, you know, interesting part about, uh, you know, what exactly is going on? Why are you selling right now? And he just says, honestly, I just resent this property. He said, I bought this thing and I never wanted it. And I bought it under false pretenses that this thing was going to get taken off my plate. And it never did. And he goes, I actually have a, a realtor coming to meet me in an hour and a half. And I'm going to list the house for 85000 And I said, okay, 85000 and he starts talking to me. He says, yeah, but I understand that with your offer, you know, you're taking a lot off my plate. It's way easier. I don't really want to deal with coming back to this place ever again. And those words rung right in my head. I said, okay, he doesn't want to come back. He wants this easy. He doesn't care as much about price because he's resenting the property. He just wants to be done. He's not making a profit on this thing. And I said to myself, this is like the ideal client. He's basically talking himself into almost taking your offer. He did. <laughs> right up front. <laughs> so I said, well, what would you take for the house? And he said, well, my wife and I talked about it. That's key because now I know the wife's on board. And she go and he goes, and we said, if you would buy it from us for $70,000, we will just sell it to you. I'll call off the realtor and we'll be done. That was where it sucked. Because then I'm sitting there and I'm given a yes or no. Yeah. And I know that my numbers ideally needed to be at like 55 and for 15,000 more i know i could be done so i did what everybody would want to do you know i tried hey well look i was thinking in the ballpark of 50 to 55,000 is that something you'd even consider no 70 or nothing okay what about you know 
if we did this, that, and the other, would you be willing to consider something around 60? I said, look, I'm every dollar I come up is out of my pocket profit. This isn't us changing anything else. The fundamentals are still the fundamentals. Yeah. He said, no, honestly, Scott, you're a nice guy. I like you. I really liked your partner, Colin. Colin was very outstanding. He was very professional. He's the reason why you guys are here. You know, I would love to work with you guys, but it's got to be 70. So I stepped out. I reran my figures. I said, you know what? After walking the house, it's not as bad as I might have thought. Let's just do it for 70. So I signed it for 70 there, went straight from that appointment, signed it or uh, opened escrow, delivered the check, drove to his house and got his wife's signatures right after that. So that's an interesting point because more and more lately, and this was kind of a shift we made a little while ago in our businesses, which was we were being ultra conservative when running our numbers. We were, and correct me if I'm wrong, we were calling a bunch of sellers. We were making a bunch of offers, offer ranges and everything. And we kept losing out on, you know, potential deals, kept losing out on potential appointments. And yeah. the appointment is the, the key, going out there and building the rapport with the seller. So here you are at the beginning, you know, 50 and 70, that's a $20,000, even if you're at 55, $15,000 gap where if it was the old us or the old way we used to do our business, we would have been, you would have left that appointment without a signed contract. Potentially. Potentially, because that gap, what, how we did things before was potentially too big of a gap for us to even cover because we were just being ultra conservative. And I think that's one of the biggest shifts we made, not only in running our numbers and teaching Colin and building him and training how to run numbers is that we've got to be competitive. You've got to be a little flexible. We've got to be flexible. We've got to be competitive. And so you leave the appointment with a signed contract at 70, right? Yeah. Yeah. Now, when you stepped out to see if you could make that gap, where, where were your numbers really at that you were ballparking to say, yes, I can go ahead and sign this at 70 and still be in a good spot? Yeah. So, I mean, I got, like I said, I got the text, I mean, in the afternoon before yeah. the day before. So, and I had plans, so I didn't have much time to really come up with the figures for the ARV, um, the after repair value. This is where it's been super helpful. We've dedicated so many hours into helping Colin figure out how to comp property that he's gotten really good at it. And this is a big shout out. Honestly, we haven't talked about Colin much, but Colin is a stud he has come out super strong. He's putting stuff under contract for the right price. And Colin had done a lot of the preliminary research. And he said, here's what I think it's worth. And he ballparked, I think it was somewhere between 135 and 150. And Colin, for anybody who doesn't know him, is my brother-in-law who lives in Denver. So Colin doesn't drive any of the properties. He doesn't even live in Fresno. He never has. He never will. So Colin had come up with a, a pretty decent ARV range. And I said to myself, in the worst case scenario, 135, can I do the deal? Yes. But the day before, I had called around and I found out a few other things. And I felt pretty firmly that I think on the good day, this house could be worth 150 by summertime. See, so I'm not banking on the appreciation from the market, but I am banking on the fact that summer is when a lot of people move. Yeah. And with interest rates ticking up, there's somewhat of a pressure to buy right now. And so at such a low price point of that 135 to 150, 
There's always going to be people who can afford that. And there's always going to be people needing a two bedroom, one bath. So with that being said, I stepped outside and I pulled out my phone. I use the calculator app on, on my phone. I mean, it's, it's that simple. So I typed in my 150 purchase price. I subtracted off, um, 13% holding and closing costs. So for other people who aren't familiar, when you buy a house, you need to think about what the cost of the money was. In this case, I could use my own cash, but if I use my own cash, then I can't do other deals as often, right? So I'm still gonna borrow the 70,000 purchase on this. That's gonna cost me some money. And then selling the house, Keller Williams doesn't allow us to sell our own homes. So I'm gonna have to pay you know, Cade a full listing commission, just like I'd pay anybody else, because I'm not gonna ask you to work for free. So that comes out to be just under 20,000 in holding and closing costs. And then I said to myself, normally this house would cost me more, but because it's a condo, I don't have to do roofs. I don't have to do exterior paint or remodeling. I don't have to touch the landscaping. I'm essentially coming through. I'm changing the flooring, the paint, the kitchen, the bathroom. Uh, I'm scraping popcorn ceilings, changing out windows. Uh, retexturing certain places, fixing the big issues, and then it's done. I mean, this is not the nicest condo complex ever, so I'm not going to go through and do anything crazy, but it cost me, I guessed, about 20000 And so I said, okay, that puts me at 110 Then I subtract off my purchase price of 70000 and that leaves the 40500 number. Now, for anybody who's not familiar in the flipping business, don't ever expect to make the number that you first think you're going to make because things are going to change. Contractors' bids are going to come in different. Things are going to come up that could cause problems. So I thought at 40500 that is the ideal goal for me when I buy a house. I want to have that much wiggle room. It's hard for you to lose when you have 40000 in a 950-square-foot condo. Yeah. So I said, you know what, Larry... We have a deal. We shook there on the spot. I said, it's not where I'd want to be, but I'm able to fudge the numbers a little bit with it being a condo. And I said, if you guys are willing to do 70, call off the realtor and we get this escrow open today, Colin and I are going to be happy to do it. So great. We sign on the line. We shake hands. We went and opened escrow. And at that point, I was in the race to go figure out, one, is my $20,000 estimate going to be right? Two, are there any HOA issues that are going to cause problems with this flip? And then three, how am I going to either fund the deal or am I going to pay for the deal myself? In which case I need to start planning for that. So let's break down those three things you just named off. First of them being if your estimate of around $20,000 in the rehab was going to be accurate in escrow, how do you go about answering that question? Well, with this one, it was interesting too. I skipped a step, which is what am I going to, how am I going to disposition this project, this purchase? That's right. Because typically if anybody knows us being realtors, licensed realtors, we can do a lot of different things, right? So we can buy the house and then list it immediately. Because mm -hmm. again, Larry understood that the house is worth more. He knew he could put it on the market for 85 and get more. So do I list it and just make the quick buck right there? Called a wholetail. Wholetailing. Do I take the property, fix it up all the way, and then sell it, which is a flip? Or do I just call my database of cash buyers and see if anybody else wants to buy it for more than 70, right? Because I know that I have a good price on this. Larry yeah. gave it to me at a good price. He even told me that. So those are my options. I initially was like, right away, I want to flip this thing. 
it's not far from my house. It's just down west. Um, it's a really easy deal to manage because it's small. And this is like a price point that I'm really comfortable in. Like worst case scenario, I could keep this as a rental and it's going to cash flow. Not a lot, but it's going to cash flow. So I posted on my Instagram that day, you know, hey, new deal locked up, blah, blah, blah. And I posted some videos of it, right? Because I like sharing what properties we're working on. And immediately I got a cash offer for 100000 like off Instagram. That was what was crazy to me. So the first week and a half was spent me thinking, well, I'm just going to wholesale this, I guess. Yeah. I wanted to flip it, but you know, you, you can't make decisions based off of emotion. You always have to make the decisions off of the numbers. And so if I'm going to only make 4500 potentially potentially on a flip, or I can make 30 with no risk, you take the 30 with no risk all day, all day long. Well, come to find out down the road, this, the buyer can't do it because X, Y, or Z personal reasons. And I said, great. I was excited. I kind of wanted to flip this anyways. So that's when I got into the next step, which was getting contractors figured out and all that. So, so, so didn't mean to cut you off. So you figured out now you've gone through some of your dispos disposition strategies. You've officially decided, Hey, I'm going to go out and flip this. What was special about this officially going to be a flip for you as opposed to doing it a different way? Well, so I think what you're hinting at is that all the flips that I've done, your you know, life to date, I guess, I've always had a partner who's much more knowledgeable than me on this and that runs the entire flip for me. Mm -hmm. So uh, we always talk about being really good at something specific and bring value there. One of the things that I feel I'm good at is I'm good at buying it a deep discount. I'm good at finding the deal, buying it at the right price, and then bringing it to somebody who knows how to handle the flip side. I haven't really had any problems with my flip so far, and I've been a little bit sheltered to the process of how to actually do that. So this is kind of a learning experiment for me because now I'm handling the majority of the actual project management which for any project managers out there, I've got so much more respect for you because I knew it was hard, but this is, I mean, it's a lot of details. <laughs> and anybody who knows me knows that I'm not as great with the details as I am with the big picture. And so uh, I reached out to Morgan Kennington with uh, Jason Pritchard. She has been such a huge help. And I said, hey, I'm gonna have Usevia, one of our contractors go out and I'm gonna have him bid out a job. I picked Usevia because he's one, He's super, super quick. Yeah. And this is a small project. So I know that quickness is going to be key to me because it's not a lot to do and he can do it quick. Two, he's always been super honest and I really need somebody who I can trust. And three, he was available. Yeah. That was the most important thing, right? Like I can't just sit and wait for another contractor for like two months for a three week job. Mm -hmm. So I reached out to Morgan. I said, hey, I'm going to get this bid out. Here's what I'm thinking I'm going to ask him to do. Can you please let me know? if anything looks funky. Well, before I had actually sent that email, I went to the property with Usevio and we got it quoted. And never in my life have I ever felt so stupid about flipping because he was asking like, what do you want to do? And I told him, here's what I'm thinking about doing. He goes, well, what about baseboards? And I'm like, oh, I didn't think about baseboards. He's like, <laughs> what about windows? I'm like, well, yeah, we're going to get dual pane windows. He goes, well, do you want me to install them or somebody else? No, I'm going to have you install them. You always install them. He's like, okay, what about countertops? Well, what about him? He's like, well, you know, do you already have a uh, distributor? And I was like, yeah, Apex. And he goes, oh, so who's going to install him? I'm like, <laughs> I started thinking to myself and I'm like, man, 
Eusebio knows way more about flipping than I do. And here I am, some stupid kid, and I've got this thing under contract. Yeah, I could buy it, but, you know, he's teaching me the ropes. <laughs> so it was helpful to have somebody who is honest, again, helping me here. And he said, let me get you a quote back. It'll be a couple days. So a few days later, he gets the quote back. And it was uh, just under 10000 bucks for, for all the labor side. Labor. And so my general rule of thumb that I've heard from other people and from my experience on the flips that I've partnered on, labor is usually about 50%. You know, 40 to 50% of your labor is what you pay in materials. Mm-hmm. So I say, perfect. That adds up to just about that 20000 number. Yeah. And yeah, I could go up or down a little bit, but I mean, we're pretty spot on. Yeah. So confirm my rehab costs. At that point, I worked with Morgan a little bit more to figure out, okay, here's what materials I'm going to buy and this, that, and the other. But I know for a fact, okay, this thing's going to cost me about 20000 to fix. That was key. Then I set that aside, or I set that aside. And I said, uh, how am I going to pay for it? Right? So that was the next big question. Yeah. And right away, I thought to myself, my dad's interested in doing some more deals. I know that he's got some money saved up that he wants to put into real estate. Why don't I give him the first opportunity? So I called him. I said, hey, I've got a really cheap house. It's 70000 bucks. It's worth, I think, 135 to 150 fixed up. It needs $20,000 in. Would you be interested in doing a you know three to six month loan? Well, right away, he was like, yeah, I'm interested. Let's go get coffee. So a couple days later, we went, we had coffee and we talked about it. And uh, we talked about points and terms and things like that. And then he and I were talking and we were bringing up how he's always wanted to be an equity split partner. And he said, well, would it be easier if I just jumped on the, on the purchase with you and you don't pay me any interest or anything? And then, you know, you, you don't have to worry about that side. That saves you all that money. Yeah, we're going to split the profit, but it's not going to be crazy different. And he was just excited to be part of an actual deal as an active investor instead of passive investor, mm-hmm. right? So, so here you are. You've got you figured out your disposition. You then figured out and dialed in some rehab numbers with getting a contractor out there right. and getting eyes on it. <clears throat> and now you've essentially figured out the way you're going to fund the deal, which in, ends up being some sort of equity split instead of a traditional private money point and interest right correct so it's still though it's still the first deal where i'm handling pretty much all of the rehab side right so but what we agreed to was if he's bringing the money he's actually going to he funded the entire purchase it ended up being about seventy three thousand, and then we're using his account at home depot his stuff to pay for all of the rehab and he's paying all the draws to the contractor and everything. So he's handling both the budgeting and watching that, which you and I both know. I'm just going to be completely frank. I hate managing finances. It's something that gives me like the worst anxiety. So I just don't like doing it and having a partner who does it really well. It's helpful for me. So he's managing all the financial side of it. How much have we spent all that? I'm handling the relationships with the contractor, uh, getting all of the materials ordered that we need to, being boots on the ground to double check our work. Obviously, I brought the deal, and then when we go to sell it, I'm going to play a much bigger part in the sale, right? So that's kind of how we broke down the rules. And being full-time project manager, right? I mean, you're going to be right. there managing. You're the one here, and for people listening out there, your dad is also out in Denver where Colin is. So another team member another partner who's not located in the area and you right. being the one here 
right uh essentially managing the entire project and what was cool here I, let's bring it back to uh my dad's lent on a couple projects for yeah. us and he's lent for people like you know benny and jason and stuff like that so what's happened is we've groomed him in a way where he now understands what to look for in a deal and when we reached out and talk about it i mean my dad and i sit down and it i mean we stop being father son and we start being investor lender mm -hmm. right and we start having that conversation he started to understand how to how to break down deals and decide for himself is this something that i want to be involved in and that was super cool is to kind of guide him in the ropes of how does that look and so when we sat down i mean it wasn't like hey I'm your son. I'm trying to do something. Help me out. It was like, hey, here's the opportunity. Here's why I think it's a good opportunity. Here's what the pitfalls are. If we can't sell it for 135 or we can't sell it for 110, we can make this a rental. We could do this. We could do that. And we broke down like what happens if I fail to pay? We broke down what happens if the house burns down? All these things, right? And so we, he has been groomed over multiple deals on exactly what he's getting into. So an important part of that is sitting down and talking through the worst case scenarios. That's always. Which is what we've done on our rentals out of state. It's what we do when running our numbers, right? Being a little more on the conservative side, we like to, and especially with lenders, right? Sitting down and having that open and honest conversation. What happens when shit hits the fan? What What happens if the worst case scenario actually turns out and, right. and does happen. Right. Right. So two things I kind of want to highlight, and we've talked about this on more episodes than I can count, is how to bring value, right? For those of you out there who are listening, trying to find your first deal, trying to scratch the surface into this business, it is very important to bring value to somebody experienced that way you can one not only fast track your journey and fast track your knowledge but to build those relationships so two people i can think of right off the bat talking through this is one colin who we haven't talked about that much right so colin right. knew correct me if i'm wrong absolutely nothing about real estate when we were talking talking with him last year essentially essentially little to nothing about real estate but I will say he does have a great understanding of uh, financials and he is a very educated and hardworking guy. So he started reading into the podcasts a little bit before us and he had ideas. Yeah. So he didn't know a ton, but he had ideas about real estate. And Colin had come and was already working his nine to five job. He, he has a specific set of skills and he said, Scott and Cade, you know, I, I really want to start, you know, doing what you guys are doing. I, I want to get into the real estate game, real estate investing. I've got all these skills. How can I bring those skills that I have to help you guys in your business? That way you guys can start to help me learn about this whole thing. So that's how the relationship came to fruition was Colin was like, hey, I've got these set of skills. I can help you uh, build out your CRM, build out your... He found our CRM. Found our CRM, built out the entire thing for us. A very systems-oriented um, skill set. And he came and he's like, I can do this, 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 and this. How can we get that done to make your guys' business more efficient? And then how can we also make it a win-win for me? Because I just want to learn and absorb knowledge, right? Yeah. And on the flip side, the second person 
you know, almost being your dad, right? Be, be, being able to bring value to you mm-hmm. in this deal and not just this deal, but all the previous ones being a traditional passive lender, mm-hmm. right? But in this deal, him being able to bring the value of not only liking the financials, understanding the financial side, being able to work on all that financial side, but bring the entire funding in and say, hey, I'd love to be an equity split partner in this. The numbers aren't going to be too crazy off of what they would already be if I was a passive investor. How would you feel about that? Mm-hmm. Boom, bringing value to you. Boom, you're bringing value to your dad by putting his money to work and furthering his education of the real estate side. That Those two relationships right there, literally, for anybody out there listening and watching, that, that is how you bring value to other people. It, it is that simple. So yeah. if you're out there figuring out, you, everyone out there has a specific set of skills. You've just got to figure out what those are and how you can apply them. No, those are good points. And what I will say is that we do have a lot of people who hit us up who would like to bring value and they don't know what their value is. That's, uh, that's on you to figure out, right? So with both Colin, us, and for in the example my dad, everybody who came to the table led with, here's what I am good at and what I like to do and what you might want to use. And what you might be- can benefit, can benefit mm-hmm. from. No, that's really cool. And, um, yeah, so we, we hashed out all the details, uh, for this deal. I mean, Colin's getting paid. Obviously you're getting paid as a listing agent. I'm getting paid as the main flip and my dad's getting paid as the flip. Um, but my dad and I broke down our equity split. We broke down, you know, how it's all going to work. We got our roles figured out. Great. I went, I got insurance figured out. And at that point we were just waiting for the HOA docs. And so that was the last part of kind of the deal. So for people who don't know, when you buy a, in a, a HOA community, a homeowners association, you need to know that there's rules, there's laws and bylaws, and there's do's and don'ts. So you have to make sure that before you buy a flip, okay, what are the rules? What am I getting myself into, right? What are you paying monthly for the right. HOA deals? What do I pay for? What do they cover? Yeah, exactly. So in this case, um, the monthly payment is like 195 bucks. I mean, it's not super cheap, but it's not the highest I've heard. Yeah. Um, and they cover the exterior and stuff like that. So it's not a big deal, but I need to know that. So when we bought the property, the last thing we had to check was that we had to fill out with the HOA. Here's our contact information so we can pay you during our holding time. Cause again, that's part of the holding costs of the deal is paying the monthly HOA. And at that point, everything was wrapped up. Uh, money got wired in on a Friday. We closed on the Friday and the seller got his check Saturday morning from escrow and everything went smooth from there. So boom, you guys are officially closed. Work is starting here at the time we're recording here shortly in about a week or two. By the time the podcast posts, we're going to be two weeks in. We're almost going to be done. Oh, perfect. So you you guys are going to be almost freaking all done in there. So quick recap from the very beginning. We've got a purchase price of 70000 Estimated rehab, both when you were on the appointment and getting your contractor Eusebio out there, around 20000 give or take. And ARV, after repair value, being somewhere between 135 and 150 more likely on the 150 side when this thing is ready to list and sell mm-hmm. in summer. And that gives you a projected profit, plus or minus, given anything that we know, like we were saying, pops mm-hmm. up in a flip, of around 40500 Right. So that's our recap. Our plan 
is to shoot another podcast episode once this flip is completely wrapped up and officially closed. That way we can bring you guys, hey, refer back to this episode. This is how the numbers went on the acquisition side, what we thought was going to go. And now we're going to come out with this episode and officially do an official deal breakdown with the real numbers. Right. So if you guys are out there listening and watching, we're thinking we want to do more of these deal analysis episodes, deal breakdown episodes, because we've had a lot of people reach out and say, hey, where, where's this property? Like asking us all these questions. So that's our plan. Anything else you want to share about that flip that you've got coming up, Scott? No, that's about it. You know, we want to start doing a little bit more of these deal breakdowns. We feel like a lot of the investors we talk to feel as if they don't get a full understanding of how the whole deal works from A, B to C. Um, you know what would be cool is if we start bringing on some of the uh, other flippers that we know who yeah. have really interesting flips um, and bring them in to, to explain kind of how it went and what they've done and and go that route. Yeah, I think that'd be awesome. If you guys, if that's something you guys want to see more of and um, listen to more, please reach out to us, hit us up. If you guys are working on your first deal or you even, you've even heard of somebody doing a deal that went crazy but still got across the finish line or whatever it is, let us know. We want to have more people on the podcast. We want to talk more deals, talk more numbers, yeah. and talk more profit. So thank you guys so much for tuning in to today's episode of the Pursuit of Property podcast. We are officially on our second episode with our new video equipment, still working on getting everything dialed in. If you guys... Um, let, let us know what you think because we are super pumped to have uh, Jake and Ethan getting all this dialed in for us. So thank you guys for listening and we'll see you next week.